So this passage contains a well-known statement about an ox, which points to financial supporting one who preaches the gospel message for a living, also known as your pastor. And so to alleviate the awkwardness that may arise from a pastor preaching about how much a preaching pastor should be paid, I'll just say this. The statement of the ox is true. It's in the Bible. But it is not the focus of the passage. Instead, Paul uses it as an example of a freedom that he has as an apostle who preaches the gospel. And so he's using himself and his ministry as an illustration to support his previous statements about giving up one's freedom to eat meat sacrificed to idols out of love for the for our fellow believers who can't eat that meat without sinning. And so as true as it is that those who preach the gospel for a living should be compensated well, which, for the record, isn't always has been a priority for Elm Creek, so don't read into it at all, the context of the passage has to be brought into account because a text without context is no text for a proof text. When we start making it about, and this is coming from the pastor who makes a living off of preaching, you need to pay me more. That's not what he's saying. Now, if you want to pat that conversation, there's Albert. Mirabel's right there. You go talk to him, okay? Okay, so we're going to work through um, Paul's logical arguments in this passage. But for our, uh, but our focus is going to be on what he's trying to communicate to his fellow believers in Corinth. You see, he ended the last chapter with these words. Chapter 8, he says, Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. So Paul isn't saying that he's now become a vegetarian. He's using the strongest possible words to teach that if meat, eating meat harms the faith of a fellow believer, he would rather be deprived of meat for the rest of his life. The natural response, especially for those who eat meat sacrificed to idols, and they have absolutely no concerns with that, is something along the line of, oh, really, come on, nice. Seems a bit extreme, doesn't it, Paul? And who are you to make such a statement? You aren't here. You don't have to deal with this issue. And Paul anticipates that kind of reaction to it, and so he gives his passage today, what we're reading today. See, Paul asked four questions in which the assumed answer is yes. Am I not free? He means before God. Am I not free before God? This isn't a freedom to do whatever he wants, but to serve God and others through the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit. Am I free? Yes, Paul, you are. Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my workmanship in the Lord? Paul was called to be an apostle by Christ himself on the road to Damascus. And that's going to come up later uh, in our talk today. The, the Corinthian believers are the outcome of Paul's work to accomplish that calling. Christ called him, and so he went to, eventually, the Gentiles, to Corinth. And so the Corinthians are the, wor- the outworking of his call. And even if there are some who doubt his apostleship, the Corinthian church can't because they are the evidence of Paul living out his freedom to preach the gospel message. I have been effective at my calling. Now, that's important 
because now he's going to he starts to lay out these these rights, these freedoms that he has. Because Paul also has the right, and here he includes himself with Barnabas. He says, we, so Barnabas, who was also considered an apostle, that's in Acts chapter 4, verse 36. We have rights. So Paul, Paul and Barnabas, he can eat and drink, which points to chapter 8. He could take a believing wife, which points to chapter 7. See how he's building this up now. But he also has the right to refrain from working for us. Now, that doesn't mean that he he can't get into his hammock and and just hang out and watch people work around him. It means working a typical job of labor. Should a soldier serve at his own expense? Should a farmer not eat of his own crops? Should a shepherd not take some of the milk from his livestock? Well, the answer is no. Should one who preaches the gospel for a living not receive compensation for his work? And again, the answer is no. One who is called to preach the gospel for a living should receive his rightful wages. Now, where does Paul get this from? From what authority does Paul claim such freedom and rights? I am free to take a wage from you, Corinthians, for what I have done, for what I have preached. Where does that come from? It comes from Scripture. It does not come from us. In Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 4, reads this. You, you say, he quotes this, You shall not muzzle an ox when it is treading out the grain. Now, when a, an ox works in a field, they should not have a muzzle placed over their mouth, which will prevent them from eating the grass or eating the stalks from that field. So in a sense, the wages for the oxen's work is the fruit of the field for the ox. Does that make sense? And to muzzle that ox is then to hold back its due wages for the work done. But, as Paul says, God's really not concerned about oxen. He didn't write it for the oxen's sake. Paul tells us that God gave that law for the sake of his people, or more specifically, to put it in the context of Paul, for the sake of God's church. Just as a plowman or a thresher should hope for a share in the crop that they put so much effort into, so it is for Paul. He sowed the spiritual seeds of the truths of God in the hearts of the Corinthians. This is from chapter 1. But then God caused it to grow. And through their repentance, faith, and belief in Jesus Christ, the Corinthians received the inheritance of the presence of God for all eternity. And so would it be too much for Paul to receive some sort of material wage for his work? I pointed you to eternal life. Is it not right for me then to be able to take something back so that I can eat and I can live? This is Paul's right, and it is his freedom, given not on his own authority, but on the authority of God. And so why this is important, because it stands, his next statement makes is an amazing statement. What he says that he does. This is my right. I have a right to ask for material possessions from you so that I can live. Not so that I can get rich, not so I can get wealthy. No, no, no. I just want to eat 
and have a place to sit. It was their, their, I have every right to do this, but what does Paul do? He refuses to make use of his position. Why? If you look at the end of verse 12, he says, we, again, talking about him and Barnabas, we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Now, where have we heard this comment many times before? I would endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. At the end of chapter 8, when he refuses to eat meat, lest he make his brother stumble. So Paul is using himself as an example and as a real-life illustration. What does it mean to be free in Christ and to love your brother as you would yourself? He has every right to be compensated for his work among the Corinthians. And he says, even in the priests, in the temple, they get their food from the sacrificial offerings. In the same way, he says in verse 14, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. But again, Paul makes no use of that right because he would rather die than have anyone deprive him of his wonderful labor. Again, chapter 8, verse 13, chapter 9, verse 12, now here in this, uh, towards the end uh, of, of this passage. Verses 16 and 18, then he, he says, I have this right, and it's a right given to me by God, but I am refusing this right. I'd rather die than remove or get in the way Deprive of anyone of my ground of the gospel and deprive my ground for for boasting. And he ends this section, verses 16 through 18. This is really, this is a hard passage. This is difficult, not in, not in the sense that we can't understand what he's meaning, but that we have to be very careful to follow his way of thinking in order to grasp what he's trying to communicate because he's leading logically down this line so there are two things that we need to figure out. What is he boasting in, and what is his reward? Those are the two main things he speaks about in these three verses. Paul uses boasting twice, at the end of verse 15 and at the beginning of verse 16. But if we read it in context, it seems that he's speaking of his boasting in two different things. In verse 15, he refuses to make use of his right to be compensated for his, for his preaching the gospel to the Corinthians. Why? So I would rather die than have any deprive him of his ground for boasting. So here his boasting is in his preaching the gospel free of charge. But in verse 16, if he preaches the gospel, that gives him no ground for boasting. Now this sounds strange because how can he fight so that he can boast in preaching the gospel while at the same time have no ground for boasting because he preached in the gospel. You, you see how weird that sounds? Or am I the only one? It just sounds, sounds really strange. And I think the solution is actually found at the end of verse 16 where he speaks and says of the necessity that was laid upon him to preach the gospel. This necessity was not, was not put on him by some sort of internal conviction. Jiminy Cricket was not on his shoulder. It was put upon him, this necessity to preach the gospel was put on him by Jesus Christ himself. Now listen carefully. Paul, he says, 
Paul says it was a necessity. You know what that means? He was not free to reject Christ or Christ's calling for him as an apostle. And woe to Paul if he does not do that. That's, that's judgment right there. This necessity was put upon him. He says Paul would rather die than be deprived of his boasting and preaching the gospel free of charge. But the necessity laid upon him to preach gives him no grounds to boast in himself. That's that's where that second boasting is. I have no grounds to boast in me. He's not preaching the gospel free to make himself look better or to gain anything from the Corinthians or to gain anything from anybody, any other church. He preaches the gospel because his master, Jesus Christ, has commanded him to preach the gospel. And woe to him if he does not, because then he's not fulfilling the call of God and he will be held accountable by Christ himself. How dare he disobey his master? That's what Paul commands us to do. Because if he preaches of his own will, and he says this, If I preach of my own will, literally, willingly, if I preach willingly, he is entitled to have a reward. One who is free, who is a slave to no one and willingly labors, is entitled to receive a wage of compensation for his labor. He preaches of his own will. He does it in his own power, in his own desires. And he's entitled to have a reward. But a slave who does not willingly labor is not entitled to any reward. Paul is here speaking of himself, right? He is not laboring. He's not preaching the gospel because his own human will suddenly resolved on that road to Damascus that it was the right thing to do at the time. That is not where his heart was. His heart was set on destroying them. Preaching the gospel was the last thing his heart wanted. But when Christ got a hold of him and changed his heart, he then became a slave to God. And we think of slaves as we think of, you know, American slavery back in the, you know, uh, the 16, 17, 1800s, right? Slavery is just different. When we, especially when Paul is talking about slavery here, we are slaves to God. Yes, we have freedom in Christ, he says, but we are also slaves. He is our master. He saved us. He changed us. He called us. He paid for us by his own blood. We are his. And so he says, as God's slave, I unwillingly, in my human effort, wanted to preach the gospel. But in the will of God in me, I preached it willingly. He is a new creation. He was made differently. He was bought by Christ on that road to Damascus. God did that. Paul did not. And so he's saying, this is, this is not me. This is not me. This is not me. This is all God. And I am serving him. I have a necessity to preach the gospel. I can do nothing else because my master has commanded me to do so. And so then what does Paul do first? 
says that in his teaching, he would present the gospel free of charge so as not to make full use of his rights on the gospel. Wow, wow, that's getting to the point, isn't it? And here's, here's what he's trying to say. In the previous chapter, Paul was exhorting the believers of Corinth to love their fellow believers by willingly surrendering the rights and freedoms they received when they were saved by Christ. Sounds a little familiar? Now, Paul wants them to look at his own life as an example. Remember what I was thinking at the beginning? Who are you, Paul, to say this? You're not in this situation anymore. He says, you know, he's referring to the church in Corinth. Kind of messed up. No, 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 no. Look at my life. You're complaining about me. And I'm talking about living religiously for evangelism. He had the right to receive compensation for his preaching the gospel to the Jews in Rome. But he willingly surrendered his rights. As one theologian wrote, Paul's life was a living paradigm of gospel expression. His life was a framework and a model of gospel living for the church to follow. Who are you to say this, Paul? And he says, because I've lived it. I've lived it. And he's going to, and then and next week when we look at another passage, he says, I, I become all things to all people. He's not becoming a universal atheist. He's saying, I'm letting go of my rights so that people would hear the gospel and I don't want anything to get in the way. I don't want anything to get in the way of people hearing the truth of the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And if it means that I don't take a raise, I hope that that changes. Because I hope they hear In essence, thinking, but he willing to stop eating meat? willing to live out the gospel message even in this small way. And as we said in the previous chapter, you're no good, no much better if you eat it and you're not worse off if you don't. What's the big deal? You're worried about me. I'm worried about God. And loving your brothers and sisters. So yes, if we believe the gospel message, we confess our sinful rebellion against God and put our trust in the work of Christ to save us from the wrath of God, then we are like Paul. We are a new creation. We have been changed. We are no longer, we no longer find lasting joy in the things of this world. In other words, where everything comes in perspective. We talked about this in the last number of weeks of having a, a gospel lens. We see our life through the gospel. Not the way our world sees it. Not the way our hearts want to see it. Because God has changed us. Our priorities have been changed. We are in this world, but we're not of this world. And we've received many freedoms and rights that only faith in Christ can accomplish. So though our new freedoms and rights are lawful, How could we love our fellow believers in Christ? Remember, that's, that's his focus. He's, 
There are a number of passages that talk about loving people outside the church. And those are great. And we preach, I preach on them. We talk about them. We discuss them. But this passage is not about unbelievers. This is about believers loving believers. How can we love our fellow believers? Well, one way is by willingly suspending our own freedoms and rights in Christ for their sake. Now, we may have all knowledge and understanding of God's word, but if we do not have love for our brother or sister in Christ, Paul will say here in chapter 13, we are nothing. You can speak in tongues and you can prophesy and you can preach the best sermon that you ever have preached in your life, but if you do not have love, you are nothing but a resounding, dying, burning cinder. You know what that brings to mind? An annoyance that nobody purposefully fellowshipping with and growing up uh, one another up in the knowledge of the Lord and loving one another through our weaknesses? What am I doing that may be causing my brother to stumble? And maybe I have no idea that I'm doing it. What freedom am I holding on to that is causing the destruction of my brother? willingly gave up his right to be financially supported by the Corinthians so that they might hear and know and live out God's word. Follow Christ's example. He willingly gave up his throne in heaven, humbled himself and came to us in the likeness of men to save those who would believe in him. He had every right and freedom to stay where he was in heaven and yet gave that up for a short time, but he gave it up. And I praise God that he did. He allowed it. We're all allowed it. We are called to willingly give up our freedoms in Christ so that the gospel message is clearly seen by those around us. That's Willingly give up your freedoms in Christ so that the gospel message is clearly seen and so then it begs the question and it's kind of a hard question what right and freedom in Christ are you so holding on to so grasping that it is more important for you to live out that right than to give up your right for the sake of your brother and sister that's how don't hear me say political rights. That is very distant. That's not what I'm talking about. This is spiritual rights. What is so ingrained in your life that you don't even consider that it may be an issue for you? The example I gave last week was alcohol. That Do you even know if somebody struggles with that or has that in their life? Do, do people know that, that you, you're wrestling with this issue, whether it's alcohol or drugs or whatever it may be? Perhaps it's 
be right, even at the sake of your relationship with your fellow believer. You ever met somebody who was willing to end a friendship just so that they could be right with you? You have the right to pull out scripture and point to it and hold to that. But we need to make sure that in that moment, in that teaching, that we don't then say, well, in order to make sure that I'm right, and I'm not influenced by that, as a fellow believer, I'm going to never fellowship with you again. Or I'm going to not have a good relationship with you. Do we hold being right so strongly that we're willing to sacrifice our relationship with a fellow believer? And I was hesitant to do this last week, and I'm probably going to fail twice this week. But at the risk of ruffling feathers and dealing with something a little bit more recent, I have the right to wear a mask or not wear a mask. And I understand that that issue very personally. I do. But are we holding on to our rights and doing so just to goes both ways. The point is, we have to ask, where where is my heart? Are we willing to be deprived of a freedom in Christ for the sake of living out the gospel? Or will we hold on to that freedom and in the process become what Paul called a stumbling block and destroy the faith of our fellow Christians? willing to follow his example and Christ's example and the example of the other apostles or are we trying to hold on to our own rights as Paul says all things are lawful but not all things are helpful all things are lawful but there are things that can easily destroy Beauty of this, and I, lo- I heart, I love the, the songs leading up to this because because this is I've, I've been wrestling with this all week. I've been wrestling with my own heart. I've been looking at the, the, the rights that I have and 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 what have what have I been holding on to? And I'll, I'll tell you, you start. It's good to go down that road. The danger of that road is then, man, your sin is. this and this is this right I am I am so stubborn I want to give that up God I want to be able to let go of that right and you want to get your heart right with God and guess what the enemy does then guess what your heart does then it starts to say well who are you and sin in your life becomes more and more exposed and it can be a That's, that's putting it lightly. It could be devastating. And you look at your own heart. And then we sing songs like we sang where his grace is forever. That as a child of God, that the enemy may say, who are you, Mark? Who are you to, to speak? Who are you to preach the gospel message from up here? You think you're Paul? Let me tell you, and I have to remind myself, but I have to remind the enemy too. Well, he already knows. I am 
preaching not my gospel when I'm preaching the gospel. And God uses broken and, and hurt and profoundly messed up people to preach and to live out the gospel message imperfectly and perfectly. Paul is not, he, he doesn't take uh, uh, material possessions for his own glory, but for the glory of Christ. He wants them to see him and him only. He doesn't want to get in the way. He doesn't want to be a wall. That's who we are as God's people. And remember, <laughs> man, we have issues. And man, yeah, I am, I am stubborn. And I want to change that. Change that, God. Change my heart. And I praise you that your grace is everlasting. I praise you that when you saved me, your blood covered me completely past, present, and future, that they are not held against me. It is not impossible to love my brother or sister in Christ. And we all have like one or two of those, right? We're like, yes, man. It is not impossible. Why? Because it's not in our own power. It is not done by our own will and our own desires. It is done by the power of God in us because he has changed us made us new. He has, he has conquered sin in our life. And he has shown us his love and his grace. And he says, you see what I've done? Do that for others. Do that for your brother. Do that for your sister. Go and live out the gospel message. Are we doing that as a church? I, I think we are. I mean, we could be better, absolutely. I mean, we're never going to be great at anything until Jesus comes. But are we as a church known as a people who love God, we love his word, and we live out his word to show his love to the people around us? As a believer in Jesus Christ. And so if you're if you're looking at your heart this morning and you're saying, Man, geez, man, I am I am holding on to this. I am rife in this. It's not a sin issue, so we have to make that very clear. <laughs> if it's a sin issue, then yes, we have to deal with that. If it's not a sin issue, then can I, I let this go for the sake of my brother or sister in Christ? To love them as they love me and to be on the same Day of our request for this in Jesus' name. Those who ask this in faith will receive. And it's in Christ's name, finest name, Exposing, this is difficult, and yet it is so gratifying, Father, and so peace giving and joy giving to know to know that you you are walking with us, you are showing us grace, 
Her identity is not found in our sin or our failure to, to preach the gospel with our lives. But you are working in us constantly. And yet, Father, we are called by you to give up our pride, our freedom, our rights that are found in you. And put means to Pray, Father, that you would continue to make that more and more of a reality for today and to praise you, God, in each and every day. That your gospel would flow out of us to our brothers and sisters in Christ. And that from that, Father, that gospel, too, would then flow out to an unbelieving world so that some would believe and you would save them and they would come into your church, into your people, and receive the grace and mercy that you have given us. Help us as your people to receive it. To not listen to the enemy, to not listen to our own sinful flesh, trying to remind us how much we've messed up, but instead, Father, to rest in you and trust that you Let's pray together.